0: The Digital Business Models Podcast will give you the top business education you need to understand the digital business world. Whether you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or wanting to be an entrepreneur, the Digital Business Models Podcast is your go-to place for your business education.
1: Hi, everyone. For today's session, we have with us uh, Jeffrey Erthusen, a keynote speaker on Digital China and Asia Tech Trends business professor at Peking University, and author of a great book, which is really a great reading to have an understanding about China, which is called The One Hour China Book. So thank you for joining me for this conversation, Jeffrey. No, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So um, let's start uh, from you. How did you actually get, uh, you know, uh, to study the the, the Chinese market economy? Uh, Tell us a bit about uh, your story.
0: Uh, just a sort of international business guy doing a lot of deal stuff uh, out of the Middle East and slowly started doing more with Asia. This is a good 15 years ago. And, you know, I was sort of half in the developing world and half in the U.S. And it was pretty clear that Asia was the place to be early on. And China and Asia was just going to be a huge story. So I was kind of on the ground. It was pretty obvious what was going to happen. So I started focusing more and more on China and Asia. And I've sort of been doing that ever since. And I still keep about half my time in China, half my time in the U.S., which is, you know, just an endless opportunity because there's always new stuff to do. And it's also pretty enjoyable life. So that's kind of where I settled is one foot in China, one foot in the U.S., which is gets more and more interesting every single year.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, of course you're able also to to see all the things and the differences and the similarities between uh, how also the the the, the landscape uh, right now. the, the most I think, interesting part, of course, is the evolution of uh, tech companies. It's probably going to still be for for a few years, and I guess you are a good spectator and also a protagonist of uh, of this uh, this evolution, which is interesting. So. Yep. And um, in, in the book, you actually mentioned um, six uh, megatrends that uh, shaped and actually are, are still shaping uh, China and the Chinese economy. Um, what are those megatrends? Can you give us just a short uh, snapshot about the, uh, those ones?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, this is uh, me and a co-author, Jonathan Wetzel of McKinsey. We, you know, China is confusing and there's a lot going on. It's a big place. It's very complicated. And what we did is we sort of pointed, look, there's there's six at least major economic trends happening that are long term. These are, you know, 30, 40 year trends. If you if you can understand those, a lot of the chaos becomes a lot more understandable. And so the trends we started to look at were things that were driving the revenue or the cost structures of companies. And out of that, we we identified sort of six. Uh, number one we is urbanization. Just the fact that, you know, when China reopened to the world in 1980, about 80% of the population was in the farms and 20% in the city, which is usually pretty much the inverse of most developed countries. So there's just been a steady movement of people into cities, which is still happening today. That creates a lot of economic drive. Uh, we also look at things like manufacturing scale, uh, just a lot of money, capital. Uh, rising Chinese consumers, which is something that's really become important in the last five to ten years, uh, digital China, and then what we call brain power behemoth, which is just you know there's there's more and more people with advanced degrees. China is not like it used to be in 1990. I mean, it's engineers and PhDs and artists and a lot of advanced skills now. So we kind of looked at those six trends, and that that's. Held up pretty well over time. This little model we used Uh, a lot of most of the major companies you see are riding one or two of those trends. Uh, So, so far it's held up. It's been about four to five years. So we'll see. But I think it's pretty solid. Most of those things are going on for at least another
1: decade, if not longer.
0: And then we'll see.
1: Interesting. And uh, what are the trends uh, you think will be uh, really going on uh, still uh, in, the, in the in the next? I mean, of course, all the six mega trends, uh, as you said, will be will be going on for 30, 40, 40 years. But some of them really started back in the I guess back in the 80s. So, what are those trends that you see uh, losing momentum, and which ones are the the, the the ones that are really gaining momentum? I, I can guess it. You know. It would be nice to to read from from your side, your perspective.
0: Right. I mean, the ones that were easier to predict were urbanization, manufacturing, capital, uh, just a lot of money, because that's just been steadily growing. I mean, it's literally a linear line. You can just draw it from 1980 to today, and it's just a straight line. The ones that were a little bit more unpredictable were rising Chinese consumers, which... You know, they were not really an economic factor 10 years ago. People didn't talk about Chinese consumers 10 years ago. They weren't buying much, even though they had income and savings. Well, that's changed dramatically in the last five to 10 years. Now it's the world's largest market for auto, for gaming, offline gaming, cinema, movies. And I mean, just one industry after the next, they've become the largest marketplace or in the top two. So that one's a sort of a late bloomer. And then digital China, which is one of our six, is the most unpredictable because uh, crazy stuff happens all the time. Uh, most of the china the digital consumer stories is really about consumers I'm sorry most of the digital China story is mostly about consumers uh, that's where things are really happening fast uh, Alibaba Tencent social media all that that's a lot of China consumers who turn out are almost entirely digital creatures. Um, you know you can't talk about Chinese consumers. Without talking digital anymore, everything happens on a smartphone. That's probably the
1: most unpredictable one. Yeah, uh, but it's moving quick. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And uh, you said at the beginning, uh, and I think this is very important to stress out because uh, it's still, for many people, China is a is a huge uh, block. But as like you said, it's a very complex uh, country, which is uh, made of 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 many clusters. So, so as you highlight in the in the book but um did did uh, this uh, digital uh, you know uh, mega trend like the internet is uh, as uh, it uh, changed something in the way uh, china looks like in terms of society consumers um w- what are you seeing right now
0: yeah consumers is i mean everyone knows there's a lot of them that's not a big surprise everybody knows that they're rising in their wealth um i think the part that gets underappreciated is how complicated they are uh, you know china is is arguably the world's most complicated consumer market now it is just when I mean, you, you can look at 30 million chinese consumers live in caves uh, you can find chinese consumers in the far west where you've got several hundred million of them that look like a different country you go to downtown beijing you get more billionaires in beijing than new york city So there's a huge uh, fragmentation and complexity to them. Um, And it's just getting more so because, you know, one, there's a lot of them. So when you get a lot of anything, you're going to get a lot of complexity. And two, you still get this big spread between very, very developed uh, market behavior like Beijing and Shanghai and, you know, behavior that's out in the fields and in the mountains. And so you know it's just this hugely complicated subject, and the only way you can really understand Chinese consumers at this point is you have to go small. You have to study micro populations um, Chinese moms, sports enthusiasts uh inland consumers uh dads i mean there's you have to break it up that way and you find out people are very very different,
1: yep. In the in the book, actually, you also highlight uh, one point which uh, I found very interesting, and it's how uh, actually people consume uh, the the consumption of the internet. It's uh, it's way more um, intense for 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 Chinese, uh, especially young people, compared to 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 West to to, to Westerners. Um, is it something that it's uh, still uh, valid today? I mean, uh, that it's still uh, like um, more time spent on the internet, on uh, digital devices on, um, co- compared to, to, to the West?
0: Yeah, basically, I mean, everyone knew there was going to be a lot of people with smartphones in China. That was pretty predictable. We're seeing the same thing in India, Indonesia, places like that. I think what surprised people was how enthusiastic they are. They just adopt things faster than other countries Uh, app, you know, mobile apps take off like crazy. Uh, and they, they spend more time online than other consumers in other countries. Um, they contribute more, they post more, they add content more. So it just turns out they are, you know, some of the world's most enthusiastic, uh, netizens are Chinese. And you know, that wasn't necessarily predictable, but it's true. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind is you know there's a difference between regular consumers who go down to the supermarket and buy apples and online consumers because the online consumers effectively operate like a network you know it's not just one person that person sharing with another person sharing with they're interconnected and if you have 300 million americans or 350 million americans there's a certain number of connections you get between them when you have a billion chinese consumers it's actually exponentially larger so digital china effectively operates like a network and it's uh, very rapid and uh, very vibrant so that part is sort of showing itself when you see a new app take off in china it goes from nothing to 100 million users in 2 months 3 months
1: you know we don't see that anywhere else uh, that i've seen Right, and it it, uh, it was interesting to see right now there is a, there is a bit of a buzz uh, in the marketing world because there is a, this app which is called TikTok, which you know they they claim instance uh, to be new competitor in the, in the like in the social media space. But it's funny because they they sort of uh, in some cases compare the the metrics the the, the users uh, acquisition of a platform like that. With the with the with the West, but it doesn't uh, make uh, in some cases much sense because, as you said, I mean, uh, it's very it's very easy that uh, app, uh when apps uh, launch actually they they might get a very big hundred million users. So I think it's very important to to have um, this sort of understanding of 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 China. And the, one one interesting thing is also um, that uh, in China the, there is the the, the phenomenon of uh, super apps, which is something that we didn't. Uh, yet, um, I guess see see in the in the in the West, which makes me think that, of course, uh, in in some cases technology in China has evolved by looking at, uh, you know, how uh, Western companies, tech companies, worked. Uh, I thought of the case, for instance, I was looking uh, more. Uh, I think a couple of years ago I was looking more in depth at the Baidu um, business model. But what I found interesting is that, right now, for instance, if you take a company like Baidu. Is not just uh, you know coping uh, coping uh, something like a company like Google, but actually is innovating uh, uh, its own way. So it's creating um, its own innovations. It has it has many things that actually Google doesn't uh, have as well. So it's interesting to see this kind of evolution. Um, I mean, what, what do you think? What, what do you see uh, on on that uh, standpoint? How how does the tech uh, look like right now in China? Uh, how is different from the West and you know is there any sort of uh, comparison here
0: yeah i mean it's
1: most people in
0: say the united states you know they they got on the internet by pc you, know, you sit at home you have your laptop you have your desktop they discovered gmail then a couple years later they discovered youtube and then, you know they slowly adapted to various tools over time you know that didn't happen in china people basically joined around 2009 2010 only on their smartphones Mostly there were some users before that was very small and they got all these tools at once. You know, they went from nothing to, I've got a smartphone, I can do messaging, I can do online video, I can do online gaming. So they kind of jumped in the deep end of the pool and they've only know the internet on smartphones. And you know, the difference between a smartphone and a PC is one you, you worked on at home or your office and then you leave it. The other one you carry with you all day long. So they carry these around all day. They message, they take photos, they watch videos, all of that. Um, And one of the things that was different early on was people don't use email. I mean, you send an email to someone in China, you better wait a week because they're probably not going to check their email. Um, It was all about messaging. So it started out with messaging with QQ and that led to WeChat. And then from there, Uh, They added payment, which was Alipay and and WeChat wallet. And once you had messaging and and WeChat or Pay, mobile payment set up, that enabled, you know, e-commerce to happen on your phone anywhere you happen to be during your day. That was the basis of the super app. Um, And it turns out people just live on their smartphones. It becomes sort of the operating system for your life. But we didn't see any of those three steps in the U.S., You know, people weren't living on WhatsApp as much, although they kind of are now. They were using email. Uh, They didn't adopt mobile payments because they were using credit cards, which worked fine. Not awesome, but they were functional. And then e-commerce was something you did on your PC, you know, not necessarily on Amazon, on your smartphone. So we didn't really see the super app emerge in the U.S. at all, although Facebook is trying it right now. We saw it in China. And then we started to see it in Southeast Asia. Grab and Gojek are working on this. People are trying to build it in India and LATAM right now. Um, But it kind of, you know, it emerged out of China first. And um, it's not clear to me it's going to emerge out of the U.S. at all. Uh, Facebook is basically copying WeChat right now. They're, They're consolidating their messengers, which is WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook Messenger first. And then they're going to try and add mobile payment which is uh Calibra and then they're going to try and add e-commerce. They're basically trying to copy WeChat.
1: Right. Uh, but I doubt. I doubt it'll work, but right. Yeah. We, we don't know if it's going to work. Actually, you know what's fun, uh, fun, fun in a way it's, is that, uh, if, if you think that the way people are consuming also content right now, I think in the us, we, we see also a sort of a comeback of uh, of the email as way of communicating. I mean, people, uh, even if email, emails emails are, 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 are you know in, in, in some cases uh, cluttered, uh, but uh, with the return of uh, this medium, because of course it's one of those where you don't have as much noise probably as on other channels. That you can consume it at your own pace. So it's it's interesting to see also this this different behavior of of consumers in the U S. and also I guess in the in in Europe compared more to China where they. Uh, got uh, really uh, suddenly on the internet and they hold the new, as you said, where the mobile devices were probably made sense to have, a, to have a, an experience which was more integrated. So where you had more of those uh, apps. And I, I, would, I would like to, to uh, go back on, on a point which you mentioned before, because I think it's very important important to understand the, the Chinese uh, consumers, the Chinese market, um, in the you said the, how uh you know the the, um, the internet of course has become uh suddenly adopted and probably uh in the book you also mentioned that uh part of this adoption may be due to the fact that uh, you know many people are in the rural uh, areas which you know make them more prone to, to spend probably more time on on the internet and you also mentioned the importance of um, word of mouth as, as a way of consuming things so uh uh, Chinese, uh, as you say, are, are very, in general, skeptical. Uh, so um, this is interesting because uh, it it helps us better understand uh, how uh, you know Chinese people think. So um, how how does it work? I mean, do you do you have any sort of uh, um, Thinking around these, like um, how is word of mouth, uh, you know, influence the way Chinese are uh, evolving the Chinese economy?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, word of mouth has sort of been the way China has operated for a long, long time. Um, you know, up until recently, the news was mostly government created. you know, it was state-owned broadcasters, state-owned media. Um, so people didn't necessarily believe that at face value. And similarly, a lot of the information comes from corporations. Well, they don't necessarily believe that either. So people, you know, in China, the way things have worked for 50 years is you ask your friends, you know, who's a good doctor? What's a good product? How good is that washing machine? The whole country's worked on word of mouth for a long time. Um, When QQ and WeChat came along, that just basically moved it all online. And Even today when, you know, social and chat is a big part of e-commerce and other things in China. You know, you you chat with people about what you're going to buy. And online influencers, you know, these people that talk about products on Yoku and such, that's the same phenomenon. It's, okay, I don't understand what this product is. I don't trust anyone. I don't trust the commercial, but I trust this one person I listen to on my channel because she seems like a pretty okay person. Um, that's kind of a version of word of mouth as well. Uh, it's kind of about who do you trust. Don't people trust who they know? So that's that's been a long running thing within China. The internet just made it a lot faster. Um, you get these these online influencers with just millions of followers as they talk about what handbags and lipstick to buy. Uh, and discussion forums and things like that really are pretty vibrant in China. So th- I mean that's part of it, and. Um, The other is you just have such, you know, I have so many people chatting about everything all day long that, you know, there's a very, there's a very energetic online conversation happening in China. Right. That didn't exist 30 years ago. You know, 30 years ago, if you lived in Beijing, you didn't know people in Guizhou or Kunming. You know, there wasn't communication. There wasn't phones. The country was very, very fragmented with the vast majority of people living in villages and farms up until 1980, 1990. Mm-hmm. so, you know, the internet kind of stitched everyone together for the first time. And, you know, China has sort of this ongoing, ondo- you know, ongoing discussions online. That's a new thing for the country
1: that's never existed before. Right. And you- so it's uh, interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's very, very interesting to watch. Absolutely. And uh- uh, is this uh, isn't this a bit in conflict with the with the fact that in any case uh, china's uh, government tries to 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 control sort of the the the, the communication flow uh, especially as you highlighted in the book uh, where where chinese banks are, are losing sort of uh, uh, their their control on the economy um so they're, they're not as powerful as as they used to be mm. How does it change uh, this sort of, uh, you know, internet communication? How does it change and affect the way, and you know, the government has power on, on, on the society?
0: I mean, it, there's a couple levels to this. Definitely, there's a system of controls in the media and in some conversation. Um, that definitely exists. And, you know, part of that is because of politically sensitive topics, which is what people tend to report on. Uh, But there's another level of it where the government does view it as its role to have healthy conversations, things that aren't considered bad for society. Um, So if you watch TV, people don't have tattoos. Uh, They don't smoke on TV uh, because those things are not considered terribly good for society. So it's not just about, you know, controlling. It's also about encouraging other types of topics uh encouraging sort of respect for your family respect for your your elders you know there's a lot of this that is is not as sort of controlling as people like to think it's more about just a belief that there should be a healthy level of conversation that should be positive right Uh, and you know i i think there's a lot of value in some of that i think that's um you know a lot of bad behavior like if people are playing internet games too much if ads are you know too much about just showing naked women or almost naked women that does get stopped because it's not considered you
1: know terribly good for the country
0: which is you know it's it's not a bad argument
1: yeah so it's, uh, so, it's it seems to me it's a bit uh, like the internet in some ways is evolving uh like uh, TV used to be probably in the, in the US many years ago, where you still had uh, some sort of uh, uh, ethic uh, or like rules around, uh, you know, w- what kind of things you could do and what you could not do. Which right now, for on on the internet, it's uh, it's um, probably way more uh, difficult to to control. I mean, we see it especially, I guess. On uh, social media and other channels, which are very hard to 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 control in terms in terms of uh, behavior, you know.
0: Yeah, that's probably changed. A lot of this has just been the evolving nature of the Chinese internet, and definitely in the last couple of years, the level of sort of let's say transparency and control of online world of China has dramatically increased. So things that you know existed in two thousand and nine would exist today. So yeah, but the tech has advanced pretty rapidly on all of these sort of government-ish tools. And a lot of them aren't run by the government. A lot of them are, you know, run by tech companies or run by media houses who, you know, are run by people who make movies, you know, and they sort of know what they can include and what they can't. So, I mean, it, it's it's a pretty complicated system, but it's definitely getting more sophisticated tech-wise.
1: Yeah, what, what companies are you following right now in terms of, uh, you know, as you're following the trend, the internet, what companies uh, are you following and you find more interesting in terms of uh, technology and innovation? I mean, obviously the big ones, you know, the big five or six,
0: the Alibaba, Tencent, ByteDance, Baidu, DD, Meituan, you know, those are kind of the big giants by market cap. I also look at the telco players a bit, so Huawei, um, ZTE, China Mobile, China Unicom, uh, because the, the uh, um, hardware world is, I, I focus mostly on software, on digital side, I mean software, software and data. But the hardware world is becoming more software-ish, um, you know, as networks become smart, as drones become smart, as refrigerators become smart. That really means adding software. So, more and more, I'm looking at those sort of um, more equipment type companies as they move towards software. Um, and obviously, Huawei's in the news a lot this year. Um, and then the AI companies that are just sort of roaring up right now. Uh, most of them aren't public yet. But, you know, there's a, a good number of these almost purely AI companies like MegV, SenseTime pick vision things like that uh they're pretty interesting what they're doing so i mean it's, it's the same ones you see in the paper more or less
1: Yep. Yeah. so and uh one, one uh particular field is uh it's uh of interest to me which is uh, voice search and um i was uh pretty surprised i, I mean you you can confirm uh, these are not uh, as you are in china quite quite uh most of the time so I was uh, interested, actually I was uh, glad to see that in China, I think voice search is something that happened already uh, probably a couple, like two, three or four years ago. I mean, uh, if I'm not mistaken, like Baidu has already a voice assistant since uh, like probably before uh, than than Google, if I'm I'm not mistaken. So uh, how how is uh, voice search right now? Uh, How does it look like in China?
0: Well, I mean, the the, the big question is, um, you know, sort of natural language processing. Yeah. You know, can a computer hear you and understand it? And it turns out that's actually pretty difficult. Uh, computer vision is much more advanced, commercialized. Uh, but Chinese companies, especially like Baidu, which is the big search engine, they've been on this for a long time. Um, has a lot to do with the fact that it's actually pretty hard to type in Chinese on a cell phone. That you know, you, you can sort of type on a smartphone or a PC in English quite easily, but drawing the Chinese characters is actually kind of a pain. So people switched over to voice or started thinking about it much earlier. So the accuracy levels, you the numbers you read about, it's usually Baidu that they have a high accuracy level for Chinese inputted voice, um, you know, higher than English. And that, that's because it's kind of hard to type and draw the characters. Um that's where it's going. Um, I'm not totally sure. Alibaba's all over that situation with their Tmall Genie. Xiaomi has an AI assistant that's moving pretty quick. So does Baidu. Um, so I mean it's these are kind of the equivalents of Alexa and Google uh for the West, but you know, we're seeing three or four different companies in China doing this. Yeah, I think it's gonna move pretty quick. Um, but yeah, the the recognition aspect is problematic. It actually turns out it's it's pretty difficult. Uh, so we'll see, you know, can it get past basic understanding? Or is it going to be stuck at this sort of rudimentary understanding for a long time? Which could be the case. Um, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. But it's pretty tough. The AI assistants are a big deal right now in China.
1: Yeah. No, interesting. And as you said, it's... Uh, um... It's uh, interesting to notice as well that uh, uh, the, it started as as a practical issue. So uh, it's not like they were necessarily trying to to, to innovate. But uh, of course, as you said, it's uh, difficult to, to type in Chinese on mobile devices, and as mobile devices are the most uh, used uh, by by Chinese people, that came out as as a, as they came up as a. As a practical uh, need, so for for anyone who is trying to uh, expand um, and uh, build, uh, you know, presence a digital business and expand uh, uh, in China, uh, what, what suggestions do you
0: have? Most of the cool digital stuff in China is, is consumer focused. The B two B side, the enterprise side, is actually pretty slow, and it's you know not as advanced as the U S. or the West. So, consumer side is where China is really the frontier of a lot of things. Um, within that, probably the most important thing is to understand digital marketing and social media, um, cause it's very aggressive in China. If, if you're not doing that, you can't sell anything to anyone. Um, and so what you see is a lot of, um, big fortune 500 companies, um, studying their teams in China in terms of digital marketing and then taking those lessons and applying them in the rest of the world that's kind of the area i'd start focusing on uh things are moving really fast uh and probably more advanced than just about anywhere you'll find mostly what so you do you know
1: digital marketing social media stuff like that what did you notice so far in terms of digital marketing things that for instance you've seen in china that uh, we didn't see yet in in the western world of course because there is a lot of uh, experimentation i guess going on
0: uh, probably the the coolest thing I think is how content is driving e-commerce. That you know we had these KOLs, these online influencers, you know, come up, and they're basically content creators. They create videos, you know, traveling through Paris looking for handbags, and then they use that to sell their own stuff. Buy my handbag, but they you know they're also contracting with major brands to promote their stuff, um, and brands are doing this in a large part as a replacement for hiring celebrities or spokespeople because the KOLs can move more items. So it's, you know, it's turning out that content is a very powerful and authentic way um, to drive e-commerce. And you know, it's, it's, it's got a depth of content and thinking and an authenticity that is really quite powerful. And, And that's something that we see in China more than anywhere else. Uh, I think that's pretty interesting. And then the other stuff is short form video, which is TikTok, uh, Douyin. You know, that was a China thing, but that's taking off in a lot of countries right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Live streaming, micro gifting. You know, there's a lot of sort of China stuff that's different than the West. Podcasting is actually very popular in China. And it's easier to monetize in China than it is in, say, the U.S., where there's you know, not really any ad market for a podcast. So there's a couple of things where China's and Usually all of these things tie to
1: consumer behavior because that's where things are really innovative. So in China, there is an ad market for podcasts already? Uh, no, people
0: use subscription and they use gifting oh. and
1: freemium. Um, but they're used you know,
0: to it. Yeah, micro-gifting is very popular. Uh, you know, online influencers or like you know, e sports is huge in China, and people play online and people just shower them with little gifts of money and things. Um, mm. Yep, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting models bubbling around, and it's not just China, it's really Asia. Um, a lot of interesting stuff happening,
1: yep. And uh, right now, uh, as um, going back to what we said before, as uh, the, the, the internet has become uh, adopted by Chinese, especially when they were using. Uh, you know mostly mobile devices i guess that, uh, that the most um you know, the, the, the most uh, uh method the most used method of consumption of content is probably video because right now for instance in the us with google we're seeing that google is pushing more and more to index other kinds of content like we see audio or we see now video which is becoming a good part of also most of the the results that we get on on Google search. But in China, I guess a video is already the the primary way of consumption of content.
0: Yeah, especially short video. One of the reasons TikTok took off so, so quickly was, you know, these are 15 second videos. Mm -hmm. Um, One, it turns out they're a lot more addictive when you're, you're hitting a new video every 15 seconds. Uh, The other thing is it, it engaged more of the China network that you know there's let's say there's 500 million people who have smartphones and good data plans and can watch yoku and whatever but short video anyone could do so all 1 billion people who have wechat can watch short video even if you're just a farmer in a field and you have a very basic cell phone with a very basic data plan because you don't have a lot of money you can watch short video because they don't take much memory and you can also film your own short videos just with your phone. So it engaged the, a much bigger percentage of the network of consumers, not just to consume, but also pro- to produce content. That's one of the reasons that is doing so well in lots of like poor countries because anyone can do short video. Uh, yeah. No matter how skimpy your data plan is or how basic your cell phone is, you can do WeChat, you can do short video, uh, and a couple other things, even if you have a little bitty data plan. So that's one of the reasons I think that's powerful. Also, it turns out it's super addictive. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you have you have the the algorithm which pushes you to 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 go through all the videos. That there are on the platform. There is no no end to to it. So it's really like a, a sort of a slot uh, slot machine uh, mechanism. So uh, it's it's very it's very addictive. And uh, right. it, it's it's interesting because in in China you have potentially over a billion people which could work as as uh, which could work for the platform because this is mostly. User-generated content. Then potentially you have a lot of people that can work for you for free, which is uh, the whole logic of uh, of a user-generated uh, platform. And then, of course, if they have the algorithms to, to to prevent uh, you know bad bad content, uh, they can uh, scale uh, pretty pretty quickly. So it's uh, it's an interesting phenomenon to look at. It also turns out like it's
0: really good for digital advertising because every let's say fourth or fifth video is a full screen 15 second video advertisement Mm -hmm. which is a heck of a lot better than a banner ad after a search engine inquiry right right it it turns out it's really good for video advertisements when you get a 15 second you know Hyundai ad that covers your whole screen you know that's a lot better than a banner headline so it's it really works on a lot of dimensions
1: it's you know
0: Pretty clever as a business.
1: Yeah, yeah. Already, well, let me let's uh, uh, close uh, the conversation. It was uh, it was a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, where where uh, people? Uh, where do you suggest? Uh, what resources? You know, beside the book, which is uh, must read. Um, do you have other resources that you suggest for people uh, that want to follow what's going on in China right now?
0: Yeah, I'm literally launching this week um, an online sort of, I'm calling it sort of Jeff's Asia Tech class, where basically I'm going to start teaching online on my website, which is jefftausen.com. Yep. And it'll be a freemium model so people can basically log in every week and uh, get about 90 minutes worth of teaching on all of this. And we're going to lay out a good year or two worth of courses and uh, people can learn as much or as little as they want. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start systematically teaching about all of this. Um, yeah, so that's launching this week, really.
1: Yeah, I make sure I make sure to 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 look at it, and also you know we, we're gonna have it in the in the, in the actual here, so that people can can uh, can go directly on the on the platform. And um, where people can find you, I guess on the same platform is the same. I mean, they they can uh, um, probably join the platform and uh, probably have the chance to to I guess. Uh, Contact you in, in, in the, the easiest for contact me is probably LinkedIn. Yeah, because
0: I'm I'm on there a lot, and then it's either LinkedIn, which is easy to connect, and then I do my Asia Tech class and my little newsletter on my website. So those are two my two main little channels.
1: Yep, sounds good. So thanks uh, thanks a lot for joining this conversation, Jeffrey. It was uh, really a pleasure, and uh, uh, you know, really uh, for anyone uh, that will be listening. Uh, the the one hour china book is is a great reading and of course uh, if they get the chance to jump on your platform i think it's it's a great way to stay up to date with uh, what's going on in china and especially from the digital uh, standpoint i think it's uh, it's uh, very very uh, useful so thanks again okay thank you
0: You've been listening to the Digital Business Models Podcast, created by 4WeekMBA.com, the leading source of business insights for those wanting to become digital entrepreneurs. Go to 4WeekMBA.com for more top-tier business education.